we're going to read it together. If you see it on screen, we're going to shout it out, read it loud. Everybody shout loud. All right, let's read together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. God, we ask that you would take broken flesh that I am, which you know so well, and use it to make a difference, uh, a transformative difference, would you? In the lives of those who are here and listening uh, by video or podcast. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you are seated, come on, let's give God a hand praise. That's a, that's a worship praise of expectation. We're expecting God to speak. You know, when you come to church, you ought to expect God to speak to you. You ought to expect him to. And sometimes it's through the message and sometimes it's through the song. Uh, and sometimes it's somebody walking up to you after the gathering is over and speaking a word into your life. You ought to expect, shout expectation. You ought to expect God to speak to you. All right. Um, so the first thing I want to point out about this psalm, the entire psalm, it's only six verses, is that at the end of the day, this psalm is about moving from one level of intimacy with God to a greater, shout greater, greater level of intimacy with God. At the end of the day, it is about intimacy and trust. Oh. Give you a couple examples of how that movement takes place in the psalm. In verse 2, you'll notice the third person, singular pronoun, starts off, He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. Uh, he restores my soul. He leads me through paths of righteousness. Shout, He! But then when you get to verse 4, read the New King James Version, you'll notice that we shift from he to the second person, you. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall feel no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. For me. You anoint my head with oil. Everybody shout, you! Notice the personal nature. There's nothing like going through a valley experience that deepens your intimacy with God. Now, I've said this before. If you want to know whether or not you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, you want to know whether you're growing spiritually, one of the ways is to determine whether or not you trust God more this year than you did last year. Everybody shall trust. And what I'm suggesting, what the psalmist is suggesting, is there's a unique combination, connection between intimacy with God and the capacity to trust God. Her name is Tess Reynolds. Skip writes about it in this book. She was born in the Philippines. And at a very early age, she discovered she had a knack for business. And so she joined the Procter & Gamble team and went straight up the ladder. Coca-Cola stole her and went straight up the ladder. Ultimately, she moved to the U.S., went to business school, fell in love, uh, and got married and landed right here in Silicon Valley and started working for a software 
uh, production corporation and went straight up the ladder. As a matter of fact, if she was here today, she would say to you that by the time she was in her late 20s, she was managing more than 200 people. But she would also say to you that the more she became somebody in the world, the more she lost herself. How many of you know that it's possible to be a tremendous success in the world and still not thrive in your internal world? She tells a story that she had a, a tragedy happen. She got pregnant in the second trimester. She lost the baby. While she was recovering, someone sent her a card that had a scripture written on it, one Psalms 121, the first couple of verses. Lift up your eyes towards the hills, and then the question comes, from whence cometh your help? Then the answer comes, my help comes from God. And Tess said she realized in that very moment that while she had been a follower of Jesus, her relationship with God had not been the first and primary relationship in her life. That she never saw God as the source of any major thing for her. In other words, it's possible to come to church on a regular basis and still not have God as your primary relationship. And so she says she went to Bible study. She got serious and added Bible study, joined a small group of women studying together, growing together. Her life took off spiritually. She said her faith came alive. I mean, you know, there's a difference between a dead faith and a vibrant faith. A faith that, that when you go to the text, the biblical text, and you start to read, and, 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 and you're reading, and suddenly words pop off the text for you, and you suddenly begin to live your life based on biblical principles, and it actually makes sense to you. She said that was her. Several years later, things are going well. She had two kids, one named Chris, one named Matt. One day, Matt, at six years of age, came home with a limp. Ultimately, took him to the doctor to the horror of Tess and her husband. They discovered that Matt had cancer, bone cancer. After using all the treatments they could, they ended up having to amputate his leg, six years old. Then they thought, well, they'd gotten ahead of it, and then about a year later, they discovered the cancer had come back. She said her and the other mothers would talk on the ward, and they would start talking about faith and their doubt. You know, Pastor Tilden told you a few weeks ago that, you know what, God welcomes you being honest about your doubt. You can't, the only way to get from this level of faith to the next level of faith is to work through the doubt between. And the only way to work through the doubt between is you've got to be honest about it. And so they started, they were just talking. A lot of them had gone to church and different things. And they said, you know what, I don't know. Maybe the Bible is just full of mythological stories. I'm not even sure anymore about heaven. I mean, how can a loving God allow children like ours to suffer the way they're suffering? They're wrestling with these tough questions. God, I want you to catch it in between trust and intimacy with God. Watch it. In the meantime, she was watching her son, Matt. She says, Matt, from a very early age, has always had this unique relationship with God. 
So for example, one day, uh, having been amputated, they were, his leg, they were driving in the car and, and it had been a cloudy day and the sun came up and Matt was sitting in the back seat and Matt said, praise God for the sun. And she said, she, she slowed down and opened the sunroof and together her and Matt just kind of rejoiced about the sun. On another occasion, this intimate relationship between Matt and God, you know, seven, eight years old, uh, she said, uh, the second grade class brought him a quilt that had, they had, they had attached to the quilt, sewn into the quilt, different pictures of things that he liked. He liked to swim and he liked street hockey and uh, Pokemon and all of that. And all that was in the, said when they opened up the quilt, it says, Matt's eyes went straight to the corner. And in the corner, he said, thank you for the cross. Somebody had put a cross there because they knew he, was, he loved God. And she's just watching this intimate relationship between her little boy who's actually going through the suffering. And his awareness of God. I mean, come on now. Isn't this the psalmist who declares, Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou, you are with me. Oh, when you know it, when you know it, when you know it, when you know it, you can face anything. Cancer and crime and house being broken into and a lost job. When you know, thou art with me. I'm talking about intimacy, intimacy linked to trust. A few days before Matt died, he shared with his parents he said, he said, I saw heaven. He said, and these beautiful angels were there. He said, I heard them singing the hallelujah chorus. And when he died, his mother said, Tess said, she had no worries about where he was. She no longer wondered about, is there a heaven? And she knew that the day would come, in the words of, the, of, of David, you know, he wouldn't come back to her, but she would join him. Come on now. Because they both knew the same God. Y'all listen and see. And so ultimately, watch this. Here where it ends up at. Listen, this is, what, this is what I'm trying to get to. She said she had scoured the pages of Scripture trying to find answers to her questions. And she said she had a lot of questions that she could not find answers for. Why did her little boy have to go through what he did? But she did find the answer to a couple of questions. Number one. She says she discovered in Scripture that nowhere in the Bible does God give an exemption to his people from suffering and pain. It's just not there. And it says, second thing she says, she discovered in Scripture, but what is there, and it's said over and over in a variety of different ways, and God demonstrates to us, and ultimately God shows it to us in his son Jesus, who in John 10, 11 declares, I am the good shepherd, come on, relating back to Psalm 23, and, and, and who gives his life for you. She said, ultimately, that message is this, come on, that, 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 that God will never leave me nor forsake me. And she said later, she learned this, nothing, shout nothing, can separate us from the love of God. Not life, not death, not angels, not demons, not anything beneath, anything above, not even cancer. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed most eloquently in Jesus Christ.
here's my point. As her intimacy with God deepened, her trust, even in the midst of unanswered questions, grew. And the psalmist is declaring. This is why the Psalms 23 used to be used when you were baptized. You came out of the water, they'd read it because they were saying to whoever was coming out, they were saying, you're about to start a journey with God and it's going to take you through some valleys. But you need to be confident, know that it's with you. And they used to tell it at communion. When we had communion today, they would read the Psalm because they would remind us that that God showed up in Jesus and sat at a table. Come on now. Not unlike the one that was was prepared in in the valley and said, this is my body broken, my blood shed uh, that you can depend on that God and we usually read it at the funeral to remind ourselves that they that die in the Lord although life has rolled up on this end it opens up on another end God has the last word and it's life and it's victory my God if we could just live like we knew that this was not all there was Intimacy and trust, you see, is tied together. You allow your pain and your unanswered questions can either drive you away from God or can put you on a search to find him. And scripture says, God says, if you search for me, you'll find me. And and let me tell you where he always is. He's always right where you are. You just have to look for him. Come on now. Come on, let's give God a hand praise. I, ah. All right, you get the connection. Now shout intimacy. Shout trust. They work together just like in human relationships. They work together in the relationship that we have with God. Intimacy and trust. The second insight that comes from this passage, I won't belabor. Okay, so let me frame it this way. You recall on Easter we, we put out in our bulletin, we asked you guys to list some of the things that get in the way of your taking your next step of faith with God. Several things rose to the top. Tons of you said repeatedly. One of the things you mentioned was just the pressure of living in the valley. And so I dealt with that two weeks ago. At least one of the sources of the pressure is, and we find it here in, in verse 5. Listen, it says, you prepare a table before me. Everybody shout, you prepare. You prepare. And I told you that that was a reminiscent of the God who shows up in Jesus in Mark chapter 10, who declares that if you want to be great, let the one who wants to be great first be your servant. And I told you two weeks ago, go back and listen to the message, that many of us in Silicon Valley, our number one paradigm for life is personal achievement. That puts pressure on us because we always got to perform, 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 and outperform everybody else. But what God says, he prepares, come on, is that your number one paradigm, he models it, your number one paradigm in life ought to be serving others first. Come on, everybody shout, serve first. Serve first, serve first, serve first. And so I said one of the ways to reduce the stress in your life is to switch the priority of your performance paradigm. Push performance down. Push serving up. All right. The second thing that came up during the questionnaire that we released was a lot of people said it was pressure. 
And a lot of folks said that the pressure takes the form of financial pressure living here in Silicon Valley. I want to suggest to you that right here embedded in this passage is some insight that really helps us to address this. And then a little later on, I'm going to tell you a secret. Shout, tell the person next to you, say, shh. Listen for the secret. Tell them, listen for the secret. Let me work through the inside. Then we'll come back to the secret, 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 secret. All right. You prepare a table before me in the presence of the Hebrew. You actually could write it. You prepare a table. Watch this. For me. Everybody shout for me. It's another way of literally translating what's in the text for me. All right. Let me ask you a couple questions. Follow me. Who provides the table in the text? God. Come on. Who provides the oil that anoints my head? Who provides the cup that runs over? Who provides the stuff running over in the cup? Who provides everything else on the table? And who does God provide all that for? Now, if God provides the table for me, Come on now, the oil that's on my head for me, the cup for me, the cup that runs over for me, and everything else on the table. I don't know what else on the table. Maybe some burritos, maybe some pork chops, I don't know, some cornbread, some greens. I don't know what all on the table. Come on now. But if you read it in the New Living Translation, they call it a feast. I know what a feast is in my house. <laughs> but the point is, come on now, if God provides the table, the stuff on the table, the all, the cup, the stuff in the cup, and he provides it for me, provides it for you. How much does he ask you to give for it? Nothing. He just gave it Did you see it? Do you see God modeling how to live in Silicon Valley? God is modeling, watch this, that when you want to survive financially in the valley, come on now, this, that the part of the insight is to let your life be shaped by generosity, giving rather than gaining. God asks for nothing in the text. He gives me the table, the cup, the all, everything on it. And he says, Herman, here's what I have. I got a seat for you. Boy, sit down. Start eating, start drinking, and I'm not asking for nothing from you. Shout generosity. He, he argues that one of the paradigms by which we ought to live our lives should be that we ought to give first. Everybody shout give first. Last week, Skip told you about a fellow by the name of Victor Ho. You recall Victor Ho, he started a company called Five Stars. It specializes in creating a loyalty plan program for small businesses so they can compete against these mega companies. He has over a million uh, subscribers now and thousands of customers, 250 people employed. It's a big deal. God really blessed it. But Skip said something in it while I was listening to it. I was, I was laying on my bed because I took three days off for retreat. And I was laying on my bed. And I was listening, watching him on TV. And I was listening to him. And he said this. I said, hmm. 
I wonder did they hear it. So since I'm not sure you heard it, I thought I'd come say it again. <laughs> There's a little part of the story where Skip said that Victor grew up not a lot of money. So he got to New York and he started, he had some good companies, some good jobs. He started saving his money. And so finally he built up a savings account. And then he said he heard God whisper to him, give it all away. Now, Victor didn't say this, but I just assumed this is what he said initially. This can't be God. <laughs> I know that ain't God. <laughs> Let me go to sleep. <laughs> Drink some Kool-Aid, get up in the morning, listen again. Come on. <laughs> but what I suspect happened, because this is how God works when he wants to get your attention. I suspect God kept bringing it up kept bringing it up. I suspect he just kept bumping into it and bumping into it. So finally, uh, 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 Victor says he surrendered and he gave it all away. He says to it, now he's, he's, not, he's not super wealthy. He's not wealthy at that time. He's just, you know, like the rest of us trying to make it. So he gave it away. He said he was shocked by how the provision of God just kept showing up. And not too long in the future, he had another savings. He said God was teaching him, but he didn't really know yet what it was about. So fast forward, shout fast forward. Fast forward, fast forward. Uh, he, he's now here in Silicon Valley with his uh, friend Matt, and they are working on this new startup that I just finished telling to him about Five Star. And they're in the early days, you know, everybody's, you know, you're robbing Paul to pay Peter, you know, you're just struggling in the valley. Come on. And they, they, they just, you know, they're eating top ramen and all that stuff, you know, struggling. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. That's what I had to do. Come on. So he said, it came around. He got a thing to do the mail from a mission he had been supporting. It was time to give again. A substantive gift. And he heard God whisper, do it. And he said, wait, what, what, I mean, I'm just, I can't pay. All, I'm trying to pay my bill. What, what? He said, I don't have that kind of money in my discretion. I'd have to go to savings. And he heard God say, do it. So finally, he relinquished. Shout, obey. There's power in obedience. Some of you don't, in Silicon Valley, you don't like the word obey. Let me give you another word. Execute. <laughs> if you hear God say it, execute it, execute it, execute it. <laughs> so he executed it. Come on now. And, and he gave. Watch this. Say two weeks later, he showed up at a meeting. He didn't know he had some venture capitalists there. And, and the people showed up to announce that they had already done the research and they had already picked his startup and that they had a check for $150,000 to give to him. Come on now. He didn't write no paper. He didn't write no grant. He didn't make no request. He didn't even know it was available. And he just showed up. And he said he learned out of that. Come on now. Money is not my source. God is my source. Come on now. And I can't make money my God. So I've got to be able to, I've got to be able to, to, to come on now, to, to, to watch this. God was trying to teach him. God was trying to teach him. Boy, I want you to live with an open hand. Because when you live with an open hand, come on now, you end up with an open heart. And I don't just want to bless you. I want to bless through you. Come on now. Shout, give first. 
the God that you serve is a God of abundance. His cup runneth over, the psalmist declares. He anoints my head with all. The actual Hebrews means he saturates, he saturates, he saturates. It's an abundance. Well, let me just acknowledge a couple of things real quickly here. I want to acknowledge that uh, there are some of us who are struggling and you may have to ultimately make the decision because it's so expensive to live here. You may sense God is calling you to transition. And I just want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that there are a lot of folk who are living in, in cars and with their family members and in garage and streets because it's so expensive to live here. Now, Part of the solution, I believe, I'm talking to God people here. We, we make billions of dollars here, and the record shows that we're one of the lowest philanthropic communities in the country. Give less than about 2.4% is what we give. I think part of what God would like to do, part of the answer, not the total answer, but part of the answer is that God would like to bless some of us. So that we could open up our hands, y'all ain't listening, to help with some of the homeless, to help with some of the hunger, to help with some of the challenges that it can. But we're we too busy focused on keeping, 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 keeping. All right. So, uh, let me give you something. Everybody shout, give first. God models this notion of generosity, giving over gaining. How might I do this? Everybody shout how. Right, let me just give you some practical insight. R write this down. Percentage living allows for percentage giving. Say it with me. Percentage living allows for percentage giving. Here, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Maybe it's time to ask the question, how much is enough? And make the decision, rather than just living on 100% of everything that comes, maybe I'm going to decide, watch this, I'm going to tell you the secret to get there at the moment. Maybe I'm going to decide that I'm just going to live on 80%. And if I live on 80%, I've got 20% left, watch this, to give and save. Ask the person next to you. Listen up, listen up. Come on, shout give and save. All right. All right, here's the next insight. Here's what I'm trying to get to. If I need less, I have more to give and save. Say it with me. If I need less, I have more to give and save. So the problem for some of us is not a resource issue, it's a need issue. And it's not really need, it's want. Shout want. Let's see, can I give you some examples? Remember the psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? He, he, he's talking about a hard thing. My wife showed up the other day in the house and she said to me, she said, baby, she said two things. First thing she said, I got all these clothes in the closet. I don't wear them that much. I'm going to give them all away. My response was, baby, those are some expensive clothes. <laughs> I, I paid for a lot of them. Come on. 
You, you want to double check that? Come on. And by the way, I like the way you look at them. Come on. She said, no, 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 no. She said, a lot of this stuff I don't wear. I haven't worn it in a year or two. Some of the stuff I wear every now and then. She said, let me just, it can be a blessing to somebody else. I'm going to give them away. So that was the first thing. All right. Now here's the second thing she said. Then she said, this will blow my mind. But this has budget implications. She said, and for the next, the rest of this year and moving forward, I'm not buying another piece of clothes or another shoe unless I just absolutely need it. Oh, now, 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 can you see? Say cha-ching. Come on, say cha-ching. Come on, can, can, can you see the money that's beginning to accumulate in the account? Can you see it? Can you see it? All right, now stop worrying about my account. Go to your closet. Come on now. And look at the $2,000 purses you got there. Look at the, 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 the shoes that you got there. Come on. Look at the clothes that you got there. Look at some of y'all getting ready to go out now. Come on. But the question is, how much do I need? Watch this, because if I'm struggling, I want to focus on need. All right, let me, let me try to put it where you can get it. Uh, we, we had this conversation, so it's helpful. As person A says, I'm struggling with my rent. Say, how big is your place? I got four bedrooms. Hmm. A lot of money in Silicon Valley, lots of money. I say, well, do you need four bedrooms? Yes. How many do you use? Regularly, every week. Two. So, what do you got the other two for? Well, when guests come, okay. How often do guests come? <laughs> Maybe once, twice a year. Okay, so let me tell you what you do. Shout need. Downsize. Come on now. Get a two-bedroom. Take the money that you've been spending, you know, $1,500, whatever it is, to extra, put it in the bank. Y'all ain't listening to me. And when that once or twice a year come, put them in the hotel. You can afford it. Y'all listening to me? Come on, come on, come on. Because you prioritize that you want to give first. I'm on a, you say, I've got a percentage. Come on, the child comes. Say, Mama, Daddy, I want $200 tennis shoes. Say, baby, come here. Let's sit down and talk. <laughs> how much you want? $200. That's how much it costs. How much you got? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> that means I'm the parent, you're the child. Here's a teaching moment. Here's what we're going to do. Go find a pair for about $70 or maybe $75. And then I'm going to buy that. Then I'm going to take the other. What is it? $75? $150? I'm going to take the other. Y'all who count you, whatever it is. I'm going to take the other. And I'm going to put that in the bank. And every time you come ask me for something like that, come on. I'm going to cut it in half and give you what you need. Because you don't need a $200 pair of shoes. You just need something to put on. Come on now with no holes in it. And I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to put the other in the bank. Watch this. Come on now. Why? Because in the summer... I need to send you to a summer enrichment program. So I'd rather invest in your future, come on now, than throw stuff away on some shoes you don't need. Y'all listening to me? That's because we made the decision, I'm going to give and save. I didn't say give and spend. What did I say? Give. 
say. All right, I'm backing into something. So God demonstrates this. He gives first. All right, so ask somebody, well, what's the secret? Say, ask, what's the secret? I told you what you need to do. The question is, how? How do I do it? I like what you're saying, preacher, but how do I do it? Well, Paul gives me a secret. You go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. If they got it, they can throw it up here. He, he, he says, he, he, he discloses a secret. And, and he says, he says, he says, he says, uh, not that I don't have need. He says, I have need. He says, but I've learned the secret because I have learned how to be content. So he said, I'm good when I got a lot. I'm good when I don't have a lot. I'm good when I'm up. I'm good when I'm down. Come on now. I've learned how to be content. Content, 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 content. Uh, my wife and I, we, we talk about it. I'm going to tell, tell you how to get to the contentment in just a minute. But, 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 but well, well, let me go ahead and tell you because I'm running out of time. Watch this. So, so, God models it. He leads with generosity. Okay, now watch the text. The text is the guy, the psalmist. He says, I'm walking. Yea, do I walk through the valley. As a shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou art with me. I'm walking through the bushes, walking around the animals. Yea, do I walk, yea, do I walk. And then suddenly he says, he pushes back a button. He goes, Woo! There's a table! It's prepared. Oh my! Out here in the valley, it's got it's got pork chops and burritos and wine. Oh my gosh! And God is beckoning. God is saying, "Here's a." He, he doesn't make him. He doesn't make him. Come on. He said. He said, "Would you like to sit down?" It's a hot day, y'all. Come on now. I hadn't had nothing to eat in a while. And so, and so, and so, so, so by invitation, he sits down. Watch this. So what is the insight? The table is the position of the table. Is the, the, the table shows up in the middle of high activity. Say high activity. All right, what does that teach us? That teaches that we ought to build in a rhythm of rest and reflection with God in the middle of high activity. Okay. Well, how do you do that? Okay, let's hit some real question. Everybody shout how. Okay. Number one, for some of us, we like to get up early. So rise with God. Get up an extra 30 minutes early and spend some time with God. Read some scripture, put on some music, spend some time with God. Watch it. Uh, uh, for some of us, you got ADHD like me, and, and, and it's hard for me to sit in the seat for too long. You notice that, haven't you? Uh, sit in the seat too long. So, so what I do, come on now, shout, walk with God. So I, I, I leave my office, come on now, and every, every minute, uh, two or three times during the day, I say, I got to go for a walk. And my staff, they know me now. They, they say, well, don't go too far and stay away from the railroad track because you fail to hurt yourself. Where you going, pastor? Come on now. I'm just going to walk with Jesus. Come on, shout, wait on God. Come on, that means open up some silence in your life. Go home tonight. Don't turn on the TV for an hour. I said, well, my gosh, I didn't. And, and watch this. Turn off the music. Oh, no. Turn off the phone. What? No, turn, turn the phone. Shout silence. Say, now, Pastor, I don't like the silence. Because in the silence, I hear stuff that I don't want to hear. 
I remember stuff that I don't want to remember. I don't like the silence. And somebody says, well, you got to empty your mind. No, don't you empty your mind. Some of you can't afford to empty your mind. Come on. <laughs> don't empty your mind. Paul says, bring every thought under captivity. So here's what I argue. Come on now, sit down there. And whatever comes, just share it with Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm dealing with guilt. Jesus, I'm dealing with jealousy. Jesus, I'm dealing with dishonesty. Jesus, I'm dealing with whatever the lust is. Jesus, Jesus uh, all this stuff, I'm trying to, Jesus, Jesus, just have a talk with him. Watch him start to help you with your stuff. Come on, tell the person next to you, he'll help you with your stuff. And then finally show up with their God-conscious people. You got to regularly show up. There's space on Sunday mornings. Come on. Regularly show up. Small group. Get your small group. Regularly show up with their God-conscious people. All right. Now, if you do what I'm suggesting on a daily basis, some form of it, some form of it. The word contentment in Paul's talking about means really to be filled full from within. It's the same word of full. Feel. Y'all ain't listening to me. It means that you begin to realize who you are in relationship to God and begins and you reshape how you think about your value. And what Rhonda was saying when she was talking to me was, I don't need these clothes to demonstrate my value. Y'all ain't listening to me because I discovered. Come on now. I discovered that I'm precious because God has declared in Isaiah, you are precious and honored in my sight. I discovered that I'm loved because God declared, I have loved you with an everlasting Lord. I discovered that I'm valuable. Y'all ain't listening. Because Jesus says, I died on the cross for you. Oh, it's not the square footage of your house. It's not the car you drive. It's not the clothes you wear. It's the blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus. Poured out for the redemption of you. That's your value. Notice the text says, the text says, I'm almost in. The text says, 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 my cup runneth over. And what the suggestion is, what the suggestion, what I like to say, is that you need to learn how to live out of the overflow. Around the night, like just some of y'all, we, we, we first got here, we wanted to buy a house. The girl is a doctor, I'm a pastor. You think we can buy a house? In Boston, we had a big old 5,000 square foot, three triple deck of Victorian 100, you know, 30 something windows. It was great. Come to Palo Alto. Twice what I was paying for mortgage, y'all ain't listening. In a one, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a thousand square foot condo. So for the first couple of years, we're talking, and I was leading the talkers. Man, we got to find a house, got to find a house. Looking at all this, a million, multi-millions dollars, and we could get all this debt. Come on now. Oh, we could let God make us content. Y'all ain't listening. And so one day, as I kept talking to God, Ron and I, we just kept talking. One day, we woke up, y'all. Come on now. And we said, you know what? Don't worry. We don't need the house. Come on. We don't need this. We're all right. And, 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 and here's my point. You know, when he says he poured the oil on the head. That olive oil, come on, it had a lot of purposes. First of all, uh, it, it would, it would, they drew uh, out of the fruit. They, they created food out of it. The point is God in our quiet time can feed our spirits. Rhonda can touch my body. Uh, a painting can, in, 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 can enliven my mind, but only God can touch my spirit. Come on. Uh, it, it used to be used to lighten up candles. Uh, in other words, when I spend time with God, he'll show me stuff I've been missing. 
And, and, and let me just tell you, I started walking out of my condo, walking down the street. I said, oh, my God, we live in a nice neighborhood. Good God Almighty. I said, oh, my God, we right down the street from the restaurant. Oh, wow. Oh, my God, my, my, my daughter can get back and forth. Wow. And then Ron and I stopped. We said, look, we said, my goodness, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Shout hallelujah. There is a contentment that allows us. Rather than paying a high mortgage, I can give money to the church here. Come on now. Rather than giving money to Bank of America, we can support a ministry in Sunnyvale that's in the heart of doing work with drug addicts and crime stuff. Come on now. Rather than paying mortgage to Wells Fargo. Come on now. I can bless the hungry. Bless the homeless. Y'all ain't listening. I can give first with no sweat. Y'all ain't listening. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The secret is to be filled from the inside with who you are in the presence of God. Give God a hand, praise.